Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, good morning, Soul City Church. Happy Palm Sunday. How are we doing today? Good to see you, 9 a.m. My name is Jared. I'm one of the lead pastors here. It is, I say this all the time when we're together like this, it is really special. It's no small thing to be together like this, and it's so good to see all of you here. And, and for those of you who are worshiping with us online, we are so glad that you are here. Let us know where you're actually at right now. Uh, go ahead and just put that in the, in the chat right now. Just drop it in there. Where are you actually joining us from? Where are you worshiping from today? And I know like lots of times when you're online, you're watching, you know, you kind of maybe feel a little detached or disconnected. So I thought we could all say good morning to those worshiping with us online in the room. All right. One, two, three. All these people are happy that you're here. So we're glad you're here. We'd love for you to be here with us in person if you are in Chicagoland. Now, I want to say a quick thing because I, I got a lot of teaching to do today. I'm going to get to that in a minute. We're going to be like teaching, teaching today, okay? Maybe even some preaching if you're lucky. We're going to see. We're going to get into it. I don't know. We'll see. But I want to say a quick word about Easter real quick because this is a very big deal. Today kicks off what we call Holy Week, as you just heard Kelly and Bianca say. And I just want to let you know, they told you about our four identical Easter gatherings that are happening next Sunday. It is an incredibly significant Sunday. It is at the heart and the center of the Christian faith. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what we build everything on. We have nothing without that. So it's incredibly central and it's incredibly important to who we are as a church. And it's incredibly important for us that everyone we know gets at least to hear that message of God's love for them, what God has done for them. We want everyone we know to at least know that God loves them. And so I want to encourage you to do whatever you got to do to invite people this Sunday. There are people in your work. There are people in your family. There are people in your building. There are people that you bump, people at the gym that you usually don't talk to. This is an opportunity to talk to them. Take your AirPods out. This is an opportunity for you to invite them. You have no idea what your invitation might lead to. Do you know that church experts say that at Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, people are 92% more likely to say yes to an invitation to church than any other Sunday throughout the year. I just completely made that number up. I just lied to you. I literally just lied to you. I made, that's not a statistic. I made that up. But it could be true. It might be true. Let's just go with the fact that it's true. Look, can we just agree that people are more likely to say yes on Easter? On Easter, whatever the stats may be. Because, because, because there's something in us that knows, like Christmas, this is significant. This matters. And they may be just one yes away from Jesus and your invitation may be a part of it. I have three friends that I've personally invited. One has already rejected me and told me, no, it's okay. There's no always next Sunday. I got a couple more that I'm asking this week and I wanna encourage you to do the same. I want you to be prayerful and I want you to be actually like proactive about who you wanna bring with you next Sunday. And I wanna say this too, if, if you can direct your friendships and invitations and relationships to our 8 a.m. and our 12.30 gathering, you would be doing the Lord a huge favor because those middle gatherings are filled up. So we want, if you've got a guest and someone that can only come at those times, then you can bring them. We'll make a seat for them. That's why we reserve seats online so we can do this. But if you can get up early with Jesus next Sunday and be here at 8 a.m. or stick around and do brunch with Jesus at 12.30, it would greatly help others 
uh, in our church and it would greatly help the work of this church. Does that make sense? So that's all for Easter. I have just some technical stuff I wanna to get to because today is an incredibly important day. I wanna help you as best I can today prepare, be, be prepared to see this Easter, maybe unlike you've ever seen it ever before. Today, I want us to look at an important moment in the life of Jesus in the events that actually lead up to Easter. It's an incredibly important day that helps us see Jesus for who he is and why he actually came. And today we're actually joining with millions and millions and millions of people of faith around the world to celebrate this day that we call Palm Sunday. But if I'm being honest, it's a day personally I've grown up with. I'm used to this tradition of this day. But it's a day that, if I'm being really honest, for most of my life, I think I, I missed it. I was kind of celebrating maybe the, the wrong thing. I saw it, I celebrated it, but, but I missed so much of what is going on, the significance of this day. And you know how easy that is, right? To, to see something, but miss it. Like you think you got it, but you don't really got it. To see it maybe from your perspective, but you don't see the whole perspective of what's going on. It reminds me, um, I came across this a while ago in some reading, this famed British artist named Rex Whistler. Rex Whistler, I know that the vast majority of you have no idea who this artist Rex Whistler is, except maybe the one art major that we have in the room today. Congrats, your degree is finally paying off. All the student loans are worth it, baby. This is your moment to say that you know who Rex Whistler is. Well, he was an esteemed British artist uh, in kind of pre-World War II uh, England, and his paintings and illustrations are actually still up in several museums uh, to this very day. But it was a series of illustrations he did uh, that most people remember him by, none of us, of course, but most people remember him by, it was right before actually his tragic death. He died in World War II as a tank commander, but right before he died, he did a series of these kind of whimsical illustrations that show how much perspective really matters and how perspective can change everything. This is one of the illustrations he did. I wanted to bring it to you and show you. Now, when you look at this, you kind of see a guy looking down at you, right? Kind of like angry with big eyes, kind of looking down at you. This is one of his illustrations. You might look at that and go, Okay, I guess it's great. Does that deserve to be in a museum? But here's what's interesting about what Rex Whistler did. If you turn that exact same picture upside down, you get a completely different face. Now you see this guy's kind of, you see the big furrowed brow. Here's the crazy thing about that picture. Let's put them up side by side. It is the exact same picture, two totally different faces. It's just all about perspective, how you look at it. Here's another one real quick. Uh, this you can look at and go, oh, he looks like a really sad coal miner. I don't know exactly what's going on with this guy, right? Kind of sad. But then when you flip the picture upside down, oh, he's like a jolly policeman or something. I don't know what he is. But you see, now again, put him side by side. You can see it's the exact same illustration. Even the numbers and letters flip upside down. See how clever he is? It's the exact same illustration, same exact face, but it's different when you look at it from a different perspective, when you turn it upside down. Now, what? in the world does Rex Whistler's illustrations have to do with Jesus or Palm Sunday or Easter? I'm so glad that none of you actually asked that question because here's why I think it's so incredibly important this Palm Sunday. I think what happens is we so often see Jesus as we are, not as he is. I think so often what we do is we see Jesus as we are, as we want him to be, not all of who he actually is. We project our desires, our image onto Jesus. Think about it. We imagine him as our own skin color. We imagine him in America as American. We imagine him as the endorser of our particular political party. We see him as the co-signer to all of our decisions in one way or another. We see him as we are, but not always 
as he actually is. And so I want to spend the next couple moments showing us the same exact event from two different perspectives. The way the crowd saw Jesus and the way Jesus saw himself. Because I know that, that as, as much as, as you and I want this Easter to be significant, we want to see Jesus for who he is. I just want to make sure that I'm not just limiting who he is because of who I am. I want to see him like you do, I believe, this Easter in the fullness of all of who Jesus is. So let's just take a quick sec and we're, we're going we're to open our Bibles to Luke 19. So if you're here in this room, there should be a Soul City Bible right under you. You can open to Luke 19. That's on page 853 in the Soul City Bible. There should be one right under your seat. If you're in the balcony, grab one off the chair. If you're joining uh, with us online or you like to do it on your phone, you can open up your phone, whatever your app is and open up a tab. And I said to you a second ago, as we turn to Luke chapter 19, page 853, I said to you a second ago that I have some teaching to do. I got some stuff to get through today and we're gonna be cooking. We're gonna be moving. John did not give me a lot of time today. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. Go ahead and look at the person in the eyes, right next to you, look at them right in the eyes and say, buckle up, baby. Just look at them right now and say, buckle up. Type actually in the comments, type up all caps, buckle up, baby. Buckle up, baby, because we are going in today. This is so good. And it's so important that I don't want you to actually miss Jesus this, this Easter. So let me give you some quick context as to where we're at in Luke 19. This is the week leading up to Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection. And in this particular moment on Palm Sunday, we have what is sort of a, like a red carpet moment for Jesus. Not one that he desired, but one that his fans and his followers uh, demanded. And how they act in this moment reveals so much of what's often in our hearts when it comes to God and how Jesus acts in this moment reveals so much of what is in the heart of God towards us. So it's Passover week. That's incredibly important context. It's Passover week. And this is a very big deal in the Jewish faith. It had been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years since the time of Moses. Devout Jews traveled from all over the known world, specifically to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the annual Passover celebration. Now, the, the biblical scholars and historians estimate that the population of the city of Jerusalem during the rest of the year, during like normal times, non-Passover times, was around 50,000 people. About 50,000 people lived just in the city of Jerusalem proper. But during Passover week, during the Passover celebration, they estimated that it swelled to more than double, to around 110 to 120,000 people gathered in this one city. It's basically like Lollapalooza when it comes to Chicago, except minus the $10 bottles of water and the drugs, maybe probably less drugs in this, uh, in this story. So, so, so Jesus comes from outside the city, from the Mount of Olives, and he's entering into the, the city of Jerusalem. And he's on a, this is an important detail. He's on a borrowed donkey. I'm not going to read you all that text where Jesus sends his disciples out to get him a bar. They literally jacked a donkey. They did a donkey jacking and took someone else's donkey and brought it for Jesus to ride in. We're not going to even go into all of that because the crowds that had been following him and had seen the miracles that he had done, many of them had probably just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. So they are hyped on Jesus right now, right? And so they began to swell around Jesus as he's about to enter into the city of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up in Luke 19, 35. Here we go. It says this, they, that's the disciples, they brought it, that's the little donkey, to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on the colt, on this donkey, and then they put Jesus on it. Verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, this is an incredibly important detail. The imagery here is everything because here we see Jesus actually riding into Jerusalem. They're 
capital, but he's entering into Jerusalem, not on a powerful war horse like conquering kings would do, but on a lowly, borrowed donkey, a slow, simple, like Jesus's feet are probably just dragging a little bit on this donkey as he's going. Rather than fulfilling all of their expectations of a coming king, he's actually fulfilling prophecy spoken of him hundreds of years before. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but in Zechariah chapter nine, this is actually what it says. It says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, look what it says. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, but look at the juxtaposition here. Look at the perspective, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Now look what this King Jesus does. This is a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus. This is what it says about him. Verse 10 says this, as he comes in, he will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim what? He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, what we already see here is that this king is not the kind of king that they were looking for. He comes not in power as they imagined, but in peace as they needed. That's what he's come to proclaim. And it's totally upside down completely upside down picture from what they imagined. Again, fully prophesied hundreds of years before, but they, they saw something else. They wanted something else. In fact, the text goes on in verse 37, Luke 19, 37 says this, that when he came to the place where the, where the road goes down, I've been there on this road where it goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Again, they're worshiping him for the power they had seen him display. And they're worshiping him. And they say this in verse 38, blessed is the, now this is important. Blessed is the what? Blessed is the king who comes. Blessed is the king who actually comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, for those of you who grew up in or around church, this imagery might be familiar to you. These words might be familiar to you. In fact, several of the gospel writers actually draw our attention to this imagery and this language. In fact, in John's recording of this moment, this exact moment, John notes this. You don't need to turn there, but John 12, 13 says this. It says that they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is important. Blessed is the what? Blessed is the king of Israel. So you have a really important, this is where we get the idea of, of Palm Sunday. So we've already seen two things happening. People are literally taking off their coats and they're throwing them down on the ground in front of Jesus. Now, why are they doing that? Because they're saying you are too worthy. You are too worthy for your feet to touch the ground. And they're dragging a little on that donkey. So we're going to lay our coats down for you. This is a sign of honor. We, we, we are pre presenting this and preparing this ground for you to enter. Can you imagine when you walked into Soul City, if one of our host team just took their jacket off and threw it down? for you, that would be an entrance. That would be an entrance, right? So not only are they doing that, but they're also waving palm branches and they're waving palm branches to Jesus and proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, again, this imagery is so central. It's where we get this name Palm Sunday from. And as a kid, like I said, I've told you before, I grew up around church. Like I was church, church. I've told you like I did a lot of church stuff. And when I was a kid, we actually on Palm Sunday had a tradition at our little church. We would have a Palm Sunday parade, 
oh, it sounds as lame as it sounds. It, it was exactly what you imagined. And we would walk down the main street, Mission Boulevard of our town, and we would wave palm branches on the sidewalk, walking by and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, and waving and walking through. Now, I was, I was like, I had mixed feelings about this, right? Because on one hand, I knew that Sunday I was not gonna fall asleep in church. That's, that's important because I'm walking. It'd be hard to fall asleep. And two, I hope to God none of my friends actually see me. And thankfully, it was Sunday at 9 a.m., so I was pretty safe. They were definitely still in bed. But we would walk down singing and, and, and taking from this exact moment, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he comes. And it was very meaningful. It was a part of the tradition that I grew up with. Maybe you had a similar tradition as that but the significance of the imagery is what we have to pay attention to. The use of the palm branch is incredibly important. The palm branch was actually Israel's national symbol of freedom. In fact, 150 years before Jesus, there was a uprising to overthrow the Roman occupiers that had taken over, that were ruling over Jesus's land. And so there was a revolt and as a part of the victory, the small victory they had there, when that leader came through town, they took palm branches and waved it as they entered into the town. In fact, it was so significant as a sign of revolt and their own national freedom that they even stamped their own coin with palm branches on it. This is actually one of their coins. And they put the palm branches as a reminder to them that we are meant to be free people. We will never be politically oppressed again. This was like a, the palm branch was a political symbol for them. It had a lot of meaning to it. Kind of like what the American flag has for Americans or the Stanley Cup, you know, has for Blackhawks fans or the like giant foam finger has for NASCAR fans or... There's always next year has for Cubs fans. Like they, it's like these things have meaning. They have meaning to them, right? So it was a deliberate political statement. And their rally cry, their rally cry is important to pay attention to. When they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying down their palm branches with their cloaks, with their coats all along the way. They're actually taking from an Old Testament passage. And you, again, you don't have to turn there, but it's in Psalm 118, and it's a prayer of King David. And David is asking God to actually save him. David is asking God to save him from, wait for it, his enemies. And this is what it says in Psalm 118. It says this, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing that they're all pulling from. This, none of this stuff is coincidental. It all has meaning. But see, what they did is they added a little verse to it. Like, like they, they, they took that idea of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but they added something else. They said, blessed is the king of Israel. So they flipped it, like DJ Khaled, they flipped it. They, this is the remix, right? They flipped it on that one. They said, no, not just blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They added their own agenda to it. Why? Because they wanted political power. That's what they saw when they looked at Jesus. That's the power they imagined. That's the king they wanted a king that would make a grand triumphal entry riding into Jerusalem on a war horse to overthrow their Roman occupiers. See how they, they saw one thing, but Jesus is like, no, 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 you're missing it. There's an entirely other story going on here. Now, there's, I only have time for one last one and I wanna give it to you because this, this is so important because there's so much happening in just these few short amount of verses. And th this one is one that's, that you don't see kind of di directly like in the text, you sort of have to be like a, 
like a Bible nerd like John is. You have to kind of like be at that, like to really geek out on like Bible stuff to like get this one. So some of y'all are, are like that. Uh, this is really important because the day that Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, like I said, it's the start of Passover week. And we've come to call it Palm Sunday, but it wasn't known as Palm Sunday. We gave it that name. That's not actually what it was known or the, na- the day was named Lamb Selection Day. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, again, since the time of Moses, families would choose the lamb that their family would offer as a sacrifice during the Passover celebration. It had been a tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it was a day of great expectation. In, fa- in fact, there was even, listen, on Lamb Selection Day, there was even a special gate that the priests had carved into the walls of Jerusalem for people to bring the sheep through that would be sacrificed for the atonement and the covering of their sin. And from everything we can see, it was called the sheep gate. That was called on the side of Jerusalem there, there was the sheep gate. And most biblical scholars believe that Jesus actually made his entrance into the city, not through the main gates where a conquering king would come, but he came through the sheep gate. He came through the side. See, the perfect lamb of God had been selected by God on lamb's selection day. Listen, he, God said, this is my son whom I love, my perfect and atoning sacrifice for your sin. This is the end of the old ways. This is the new covenant. My lamb has been chosen, but they didn't want a lamb. They wanted a lion. They wanted someone to come take over. Now. Okay. Last one. I said that was the last one. One more, one more. It says that the crowds had grown and grown and grown and swelled and swelled and swelled and, and they were singing and they were praising and they were worshiping God. And, and this was actually also an act of rebellion. This was a, the surefire way to get the attention of Roman officials to come and beat, harass, or arrest them for declaring another king. And so here they are, they're, they're going full bore. They are praising and singing and dancing and celebrating Jesus. It's, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful moment. In fact, in, in Luke 19, 39, it says this. It says that some of the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders of the day. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, they kind of worked their way up to Jesus and they're walking alongside this donkey. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You got to tell them they're wrong. Tell them to stop. They cannot be praising like this. They're, they're fearful for many reasons. He's a threat to us. He's a threat to the, our Roman occupiers. But verse 40, what does Jesus say? He says, listen, if I tell you, if they keep quiet, these stones will cry out. If they, if they get quiet, earth itself, creation itself will declare and proclaim who I actually am. Don't you love that? And this is just a side note. This is just for free. And that always, that's always what religious people do. They always come to just poop on the party. They always like, always like, shh, stop it. You know, and they're trying to get Jesus to stop it. And Jesus goes, you can't stop this. All of creation has been waiting for this moment. And here I come. And if they get quiet, these rocks are going to cry out. And here's what's, here's what's so crazy. As much as it's beautiful for their worship, and even if it is a little misguided, like mine can be as well, like yours can be as well, it's, it's beautiful that they are worshiping Jesus and they're declaring that he is worthy. He is, the, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. But there's another moment that happens right after that because Jesus could see right through how they saw things. And this is something that's often kind of overlooked or taken out of context from all the events that we just walked through. And it's in Luke 19, verse 41. There's all the singing, all this dancing, all this praising, and look what Jesus does. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he what? 
he wept over it and said, oh, if you, if even you had only known on this day, Lamb Selection Day, what would bring you what? What would bring you peace? Oh, if you only would have known that's who I am. That's what I've come to bring. But now it's been, it's been hidden from your eyes. You can't see it. You can only see it this way from your perspective. It says there that Jesus weeps. It's not the only time we see in the Bible where he weeps. And in fact, the original language of that weeping is, is like a guttural sobbing. Like Jesus was ugly crying. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, just look at the juxtaposition. Singing, dancing, praising, palm branches waving. And Jesus is weeping. Oh, you see it, but you're missing it. You're missing it. Why? Because he saw what what they just, he saw what they couldn't see. They wanted power. He was bringing peace. They wanted a lion. He came as the lamb. They wanted to be elevated. He would be humiliated. They wanted a crown. He came for the cross. It's as though their, their, their picture of Jesus needed to be turned upside down for them to see him as he truly was and for what he truly brought. And maybe yours and maybe mine does as well. I think we all need to adjust maybe how we're seeing Jesus, how we're projecting ourselves onto Jesus. See, I said yes to Jesus at a very young age. I was just a little kid and I believe it was sincere. I genuinely believe that yes to Jesus, as much as I could understand, was sincere. I had, I'd heard a pastor in church talking about hell and how, I, how terrible it was and how I was definitely going there. And all of, because of all the horrible things I had done in my seven-year-old life up to that point. And I, I didn't have much of a rap sheet at that point. I mean, I had stolen some candy from a grocery store. That's true. I had, I had, I had taken some candy from a grocery store and I, used, I, I, did, I did practice swears in the back backyard when no one was home. That is true. That is true. That is true. That happened. So, so I, I was like, well, I, I don't want to go to hell for that. So, so I prayed and I said yes to Jesus. And I believe genuinely that he came into my heart and he forgave me for, for all the stealing and all the swearing and, and that he took over lordship of my life. I genuinely believe that. But that Jesus that I said yes to, and that I imagined was, was one who was there to help get me out of jams. That was my Jesus. He'd get me out of jam, Jesus. Or the Jesus who would kind of give me a better perspective. Give me a little better perspective on life. Or one that would make me feel better about myself when life was hard or when things were difficult with friends or with my family. Well, Jesus would make me feel better about myself. That was my Jesus. This is the Jesus that would kind of, you know, keep me out of hell one day. He was like, he was like my buddy Jesus, my buddy Jesus. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I saw him. That's as much as I could maybe comprehend at the time. But I... I, I didn't know I was missing so much of all of who he actually is. And that Jesus was fine. Like we got along, it worked until it didn't. Until around my 20s, you know, when life gets a lot more complicated and your decisions get a lot bigger and the stakes are a lot higher until I began to realize that I needed so much more. Until I, I began to see that he was so much more that he had so much more for me, that he invited me into so much more with him, that following him, yes, was liberating, but it was also costly, more costly than I'd even imagined. That, that, that I began to see then that small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and few actually find it. That to be first, I would actually need to become last 
and that to save my life, I would have to lose it. And in losing my life, I would find it. I had to turn my whole picture of Jesus and myself upside down. And maybe, maybe this Easter, that's the most important thing that you can do, to see Jesus for all of, of who he is as he enters into this season, as he enters into your life this Easter, to see him for all of who he is, not just all of who you are. To see him not, not just as a, a good teacher with good philosophy for life, that he's not just there to agree with all your political persuasions, that he's not just there to excuse how you judge and how you hate others, that he's not just there to be something good for your kids to grow up with, that he's not just your ticket to heaven, that he is so much more, that he has so much more for you than that. And that's why Easter matters. That's why this moment on Lamb Selection Day is so significant. Because it's here to remind us yet again that Jesus came as he did so that you could come as you are. He came as he did in the most upside down, unexpected way so that you could come just as you are. You can come to Jesus this Easter just as you are. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to act like you have it all put together. You don't have to act like you have all the answers or act like you don't doubt, or you don't drift, or you don't wander from Jesus. You don't have to act like you can do it all on your own, like you don't actually need a savior. See, Jesus came as he did, again, in that most unexpected upside down way, so that you could come just as you are. And that's why it's so important. We see Jesus as who he is, not just as who we are or who we want him to be. That's why it's so important that this Easter that you see yourself just as you are and not who you pretend or present to be. See, because here's the thing I found to be true of, of my life. Here's the thing we see in story after story after story in the New Testament. And we've seen in story after story after story here at Soul City. And it's simply this. When you see Jesus as he really is, guess what happens? You can begin to see yourself as you really are. Like I see Jesus as he is. He is savior. He is king, but he also comes in peace. He's humble. He's a servant. When I see Jesus as he is, oh, that gives me perspective on who I actually am. Oh, I see myself in light of you. Oh, I see you, Jesus. You are what they say. You are all that and more. You are the stone that the builders rejected that you are actually both the lion and the lamb, that you are actually the way, the truth, and the life as your savior and as your friend, as the high king of heaven and as the servant of all. When you see him as you, he actually is, you can begin to see yourself as you actually are. And you know what's crazy about that idea? You can turn that picture upside down as well. Because when you begin to see yourself as you really are, like when you get really, really honest with yourself, guess what? Now you can start to see who Jesus is really, really is. Oh, I need a savior. I need a comforter. I need a friend. Thank you, Jesus. As I get in touch and I get honest with who I am, oh, I see how much more I need you. That's what happens when I get honest. That's what happens when you get honest, not only about ourselves, but about who Jesus is, all of who he is. That's my hope. That's my hope. That's my heart for you this Easter, that we would get that honest, that we would come to Jesus just like that, both as he is and as we are. And so, you know, we, get, we like to give homework around here at Soul City and, and everyone loves homework. And I know a lot of kids are about to go on spring break, but I think this is important. This is good work. This is good work. 
I wanna encourage you this week to help you see Jesus as he is, to see yourself as you really are. I wanna encourage you to read through the accounts that lead up to the cross and the empty tomb this Sunday. I want you to read, it's, you can start in Luke 19. And you just slowly kind of read through a couple paragraphs each day, journey with Jesus through each of these days of Holy Week as he makes his way to the cross, as he defeats death and conquers it once and for all, as he overcomes the world and walks out of that empty tomb. And I want you to follow him this week. And if you do, if you track with Jesus and you begin to see, oh, Jesus, you were, oh, I see you were doing so much more than I could have imagined. Oh, Jesus, I see myself so much more honestly and plainly and clearly just as you see me by just following you to the cross and through an empty tomb. I guarantee you, you will see Jesus like you've never seen him before and you will show up here next Sunday with something to celebrate. You'll show up with a reason for Easter next Sunday. So that's our homework. We're just, can you do that? We'll help you as best we can to track through each of the events that lead up to the cross and an empty tomb. Cause that's it. We just want to see him more clearly and see ourselves more clearly. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll pray for you. And we're going to just declare and proclaim that beautiful, that wonderful, that simple, that complex name of Jesus right now. And if you would open your hands as we pray. I'd love to pray over you. And we're just going to sing and speak that name of Jesus until it begins to settle in and over our hearts and lives. Jesus, thank you again that you came as you did so that we could come just as we are, that you didn't pretend to be anything that you weren't. You were so clear. In fact, you fulfilled every single prophecy about you. It was not accidental. It was not coincidental. It was God's plan all along and you fulfilled it perfectly. And you invite us to see you more clearly and in the process of doing so to see ourselves more honestly, more openly and more available to you. Thank you, Jesus, our lamb who was slain. God's perfect sacrifice to pay the price for all the sin in my life, in our lives, in this world, you did it all. And so what else can we say? What else can we sing but your name, Jesus? Your beautiful, your powerful, your wonderful name, Jesus. It's you, it's you, it's you. And we celebrate you this Lamb Selection Day in your name. Amen.